Hello, and welcome to another episode of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. Builder Insights is your best source of information on new building techniques, materials, tools, and codes. Keep up to date with the latest developments as well as tips and tricks that will save you time and money on the job site. And now, Builder Insights. The following interview is with David Howard of the Home Builders Institute. David Howard serves as a Chief Business Development Officer overseeing business development and fundraising for HBI. Howard holds an MBA from George Mason University and a bachelor's degree in accounting from the College of William and Mary. The following podcast was recorded at the 2018 International Builder Show in Orlando. Before we get started, David, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be at the HBI. Sure. I've been with the Home Builders Institute now for a couple of years. I started in May of 2016. It's been a fast and furious ride for me. It's been a learning experience. It's been a very gratifying experience for me as well, given the kind of work that uh, that we do, given the kind of audiences that we're privileged to serve, whether they're at risk, whether it's students, whether it's uh, some of our military programs, both veterans and transitioning servicemen and women. So it's been it's, it's been a lot of fun for me. I get to work with great people, again, very mission-oriented. So it's been a very gratifying experience for me. Before my time with HBI, I'm kind of a um, nonprofit groupie. I've been with various <laughs> not-for-profit organizations, primarily in Washington, D.C., for about 20 years prior to my time with HBI. I uh, ran a foundation for the Urban Land Institute, a Washington, D.C.-based trade organization focused on issues of urban development, regeneration, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and before that, uh, served in a senior role for another real estate-focused trade organization. Can you give us a brief history of HBI and how it came to be? Sure. HBI has actually been in existence for over 50 years. We really cut our teeth serving populations as diverse as the U.S. military. We've got a very active program have had a very active history, I should say, training veteran populations. Of late, we've been getting into the transitioning military space, so we do a lot of work currently with servicemen and women as they transition out, do a lot of work with at-risk populations, primarily on the youth side, have a very robust and active reentry program as well, so we do a lot of work with prison populations, both jails and, and, and prisons, working with individuals as they transition out of incarceration situations back in right. the mainstream bringing oh, wow. our resources and our instruction to primarily high schools, but also charter schools and other educational institutions, community colleges, that sort of thing. So we've been around for 50 years. We actually started as the workforce development arm of the National Association of Home Builders, NEHB, okay. uh, split off from NEHB officially in the early 1980s to become our own freestanding 501c3 non So it's part of the NEHB, NHBA at some point, I guess. We, we actually got our start as a division or department of NEHB, low those many years ago, right. although today we are freestanding, we're a separate organization, separate 501c3, separate governance structure, the whole thing, although I will tell you we still maintain a very close working relationship, very strong partnership with NEHB. We're located in the NEHB headquarters building in right. Washington, D.C. We do a lot of work with local home builder associations, state home builder associations across the country, and they're relationships that really mean a lot to us and, and help to drive what we're able to do. Geographically, do you, are you working all across the U.S. or in just certain areas? We have about 275 programs across the country. Okay. At any given time, we're training upwards of 13,000 students. 
in a variety of those programs that I mentioned, whether it's at risk, corrections, military, high school uh, situations and settings. Mm -hmm. We've got about 300 employees across the country. Though we're headquartered in Washington, D.C., I will tell you, we only have about 25 staff members in the oh, D.C. Wow. office. The vast majority of our folks are located in those locations where those programs take place across the country. We've got big practice here in the state of Florida. Matter of fact, Florida is probably our largest state in terms of the number of programs and employees. I think we've got you know, close to 40, 50, 60 employees here in the state of Florida. Uh, so are, are you guys a government agency then? We're not a government agency. We're a true nonprofit organization. We rely on donations, contributions, contracts, things of that nature from foundations, private individuals, a lot of corporate support, that sort of thing. While we do a lot of work with both the federal government, state agencies, and um, local municipalities, that sort of thing, we are not actually a, an agency of any particular state or, or government. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at HBI? So I'm responsible primarily for spreading the good news of the work that we do, with the end goal being we're trying to bring more resources into the fold to allow us to do more work to enhance the work that we're doing. So uh, that's really a fancy way of saying I'm responsible for fundraising, for development. I like to tell people anytime somebody wants to write a check, I'm happy to get on a plane and go see them to pick that check up. That's really that's really where I spend most of my time. Uh, we're doing a lot of work with the foundation community, so I spend a lot of time trying to identify those foundations that are a good fit for us, could bring something to us in terms of the work that we're trying to provide our various populations. So very robust and active program reaching out to the foundation community, a lot of ongoing work with the corporate community in terms of trying to bring companies like Norboard into the mix. And I should say it's not all about just financial support. I mean, with any not-for-profit, what really drives our agenda is the financial resources that we're able to bring to bear. But I will tell you, the real value in the relationships that we're able to create lies in what our partners bring to the table, the, the contacts that they have, the networks that they have, the experience that they have in the markets uh, where they're located. Do you work with the, with the Department of Labor? We do a lot of work with the U.S. Department of Labor. As a matter of fact, our largest contract, most long-standing contract, is with the U.S. Department of Labor. For about 40 years, we have been the largest training partner in DOL's Job Corps program. So we actually provide skills training for about 75 Job Corps programs across the country. These are programs that are residential-based. So it's a program that targets primarily at-risk youth. So essentially, young men and women apply to become a part of the Job Corps program. If they're accepted, they come and they actually live on a Job Corps campus. And wow. they work to receive their high school equivalency, their GED here in the U.S., and they also have to work in a particular skilled trade area. Could be culinary, could be IT, could be healthcare, or in our case, it could be construction trade. So we, right. we go into these job core centers and we provide trades training. It could be in carpentry, could be in plumbing, electrical, HVAC, nine or 10 different program areas. And so the idea is once the students get to a point where they receive their high school equivalency, they're also prepared to go into the workforce because they have received an industry-recognized and an industry-based credential, in our wow. case, a certification in the particular trade area that they've studied. So again, they're armed with their high school degree, and they're all, or at least their equivalency, and they have a skill that they can take to the, to the market. And as part of that program, we also provide placement services. So not only are we providing the skills training to prepare these young men and women for careers, we're also working with them on the placement side so that they can, in fact, find jobs in the industry for which they've been prepared.
Uh, you, you touched on it briefly, but how, how many trades does HBI offer training in? There are, kind of looking at my colleagues here, there are nine or ten different trades areas. that, that And it really kind of depends on how you define trade area. But you know, the primary ones, and, and this is not meant to exclude anyone, but the primary ones are carpentry, HVAC, electrical, painting, plumbing. We've got a building construction technology trade area. So there are nine or ten areas where we provide we provide training. Masonry is another one. Please tell us what PACT stands for and what is it what, what is involved with a PACT curriculum? So PACT is an acronym for pre-apprenticeship certificate training. It's basically the name that we give to our curriculum. There's a soft skills component to it. So we're not just providing skills training for the individuals who run through our program in terms of being able to swing a hammer right. or measure a piece of lumber. We're also arming them with the soft skills that they need so that they know how to go on an interview. They know how to write a resume. They know how to look somebody in the eye when they're talking to them on the job site. Right. They're fully armed with a deep understanding of on-the-job safety, which is a big issue for us. As a matter of fact, in many of our programs, our students actually receive an OSHA 5 or an OSHA 10 certification when they come out. So they've got the credential from us, and they also have the, the OSHA certification as well. So upon graduating, can you, can you tell us about what qualifications students lead with? Well, they, lead, they, leave our, they leave our program ready to start on the job the day after they, the day after they leave our program. They're not, they're not graduating and becoming master carpenters if they're leaving a carpentry program, but right. all of our students leave with a demonstrated ability to start on day one with an understanding of what it takes to be successful in that job. We provide, again, soft skills training, but also a really baseline, good, fundamental understanding of the skills that go into being a carpenter, if it's carpentry, or being an electrician, if it's an electrical program. Um, a lot of our students start off as assistants on the job, carpentry assistants, for, exa for example. Mm -hmm. Some go into apprenticeship programs, and so they're receiving further on-the-job training. But, you know, it's a well-rounded curriculum geared toward teaching individuals what it takes to be successful on the job. So how do you attract young adults to your programs? Well, at the core of all of our programs is a fundamental understanding that in order to be successful, we need to partner with the right kinds of organizations that can help us in areas like recruitment. We're, we're not a place-based organization in that we have training centers, offices across the country. Rather, what we do is work with organizations that are plugged into their communities, partner with them, rely on them to do things like bring student populations to us, then we provide the training and we work with them with the placement as well. Can you give me an example of that? So we have a lot of relationships with local Goodwill affiliates. We have a lot of relationships with United Way affiliates, some church groups, some religious groups. We'll go into a particular market in partnership with a Goodwill, for example, who might be focused on serving veteran populations. Right. And they know that community. They know what the specific issues are in those communities. They know what, what the issues are that their veterans are dealing with. We come in and provide the trades training. They help us with all of those wraparound services, if you will. Is there any uh, financial support available for students? Depending on how we can structure the arrangement with our funder. All of our programs are funded by external sources. We actually don't ask or require any of our students from any of our programs to pay for the training that they receive. Rather, we take it upon ourselves to go out and raise that money that okay. allows our students to, to receive the training. You know, particularly with some of the populations like the U.S. military, we, we believe very strongly that somebody who has served our country who is transitioning out of the military should not be required to pay 
to receive job training to, to find employment once they leave the military. They shouldn't use their GI benefits or anything like that. Right. So what we do is partner with, with a fund, with, with a financial partner who will come in and provide the funding to allow us to provide the training. And so to answer your question, oftentimes, depending on the population that we're serving, there are financial needs that go beyond just the cost of the training. I see. Transportation okay. is a big issue for yeah. us, particularly for some of our uh, younger men and women who participate in the training programs. If they live on one side of the city and our training center is located in a different part of the city, then how do they get from point A to point B? And so oftentimes we'll put together a funding scenario with one of our foundation partners mm -hmm. that will provide some resources to allow us to buy you know, bus tickets or right. in the case of some place like Washington, D.C., a metro pass, things like that. Right. We have been known to provide stipends for some right. of our uh, students as well. We see this more times than not with the veteran groups that we, that we serve. You know, oftentimes you're talking about somebody who might be 30 years old, 32 years old, 34 years old, something like that, and they need to provide for themselves. So they're receiving the training from us. They're not working at the time. They right? might be working. They might not be working. Right. The training that we're able to provide, you know, will typically last anywhere from 12, 14, 16, 20 weeks, depending on how efficiently they can work their way through the program. Well, during that time of training, they've got to survive. They need funds right. you know, to pay the rent, buy food, sure. transportation, that sort of thing. And so... Again, depending on what we can put together with the funder, sometimes we can build some stipends into that program to offset some of those costs that a particular individual might need. Depending on the particular population, again, whether it's transitioning military, whether it's at-risk youth, whether it's one of our corrections programs, the length of time to complete the training varies. Yeah. We see in some of our military programs where we actually go on to military bases and provide training for uh, servicemen and women who are transitioning out of the military. A lot of those individuals come to us with skills that have been honed in the military during their time in the military. So obviously for them, they can work their way through the program at a faster pace than right. somebody who hasn't had who hasn't developed those kinds of skills and right. what they were so doing. You're, starting, you're not starting from zero with some of them, right? That's exactly yeah. it. So there have been some members of our transitioning military program who can work their way through the program as quickly as 10 to 12 weeks. With some of our other populations that we serve, particularly some of the juvenile justice sorts of populations, the, the length of the training period is much longer. The other thing that drives that is how much during the day we have them. So, right. for example, with some of the, again, some of the military programs, we actually have those individuals for eight hours a day, seven right. hours a day. And so they're able to train for the better part of the day. For other programs that we run, you know, we only get the students for maybe an hour at a time or two hours at a time. So mm -hmm. obviously for them, it's going you know, to take longer. them longer. Yeah. So, What's your most popular course? I, I would say it's probably carpentry okay. because carpentry is one of those trades that has applicability to other trades areas. So, you know, for example, there's a lot of carpentry work in masonry. And so somebody who can who can receive skills in basic carpentry can go on and do a lot of different things. So it's probably, I, I would say, our, our, our most popular program. You know, in places like Florida, Arizona, Southern California, you know, HVAC is always popular, obviously, because people need air conditioning. So right. You know, so again, depending on where we are in the country, that sometimes drives uh, what the popularity of those programs really is. You mentioned the field staff. Are these the trainers, and, and how do you find or locate experienced people to do the training? Uh, you know, a variety of ways. Uh, sometimes we'll work with our community-based partner. They might have contacts in the industry. Big source of recruiting instructors 
is the local home building industry. So again, I, I mentioned we have very strong relationships with local home builder associations, which is an extension of our relationship with NEHB at a national level. And oftentimes, these local home builder associations will know people in the community who might um, be looking to serve as an instructor for a particular program that we're trying to stand up. What training or course material is there for their trainers? We actually certify all of our trainers, so all of our instructors receive a certification from us as well, which attests to their ability to teach from the curriculum. So we literally will send somebody from our team to a location once we've hired an instructor to train and certify that instructor. Now, that might sound like it's it's a more cumbersome or drawn-out process, but really it only takes two or three days because, you know, obviously if we're standing up a carpentry program in Milwaukee, mm -hmm the individual that we hired to be the instructor is going to come to us with some skills. And so basically right. what, what we're doing is working with them to enhance their familiarity with the curriculum. We're not right. really training somebody who has been a carpenter no. their entire career to be a carpenter according to HBI. What we're, what we're working with them on are things like some of these soft skills. We're trying to orient them to what they can expect in the program depending on the population that they're going to be serving, that sort of thing. So they're all right. certified in our curriculum before they actually start providing instruction for our students. My last question, are there any particular stories about students, staff, or programs that you might want to share with us? Anything that sticks out? The, the great thing about this job is you get to work with folks who come to us with all kinds of, of issues that, frankly, we don't see and we don't deal with when we're right. in our office in Washington, D.C. And, I mean, there's example after example after example for some of our on-base military programs. I mean, you're, you have the opportunity to work with kids in their early 20s who have served their country, who joined the, the service right out of high school, who went overseas, and they're coming back having, having served their country, having done their duty, and they don't know what they're going to do next. And so we have an opportunity to work with them, to give them some skills, and to place them with an employer in the industry. You, know, you look at some of our corrections programs. You know, for the most part, you're dealing with people who have made a mistake. For most of our corrections programs, our reentry programs, we're not dealing with hardened criminals. Right. We're dealing with people who have had substance abuse issues. Lack direction or something. Yeah. That's exactly it. And so having the opportunity to go in and work with these individuals, provide them with the skills that they need so that they can get back on the right track. I mean, I talked about this being a very gratifying job, that's probably the most gratifying part of it. You know, and what's really interesting is I, I have an opportunity to, to work more closely with our instructors than, than, than I do candidly with our students. And when you hear the stories that these instructors tell of their experience working with these students, I mean, it's really incredible. You know, it's, it's because the instructors really are the backbone of our programs. I mean, they really make HBI go. You know, they talk about you know, really getting to know their students on a personal level to the point where you know, if somebody doesn't show up for two or three days, these men and women will get in their cars, they'll go to their homes, they'll pick them up, they'll yeah. bring them to the training, they'll keep in touch with them for years afterward. I mean, it's really, you know, really gratifying work. But again, where the rubber really meets the road is, is in that relationship between the instructors and the students. It's fascinating, David. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you for this opportunity. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you. That concludes this installment of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. You'll find more of the same great content on our blog, including show notes and links to additional information. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing, liking, and subscribing on iTunes. Thanks for listening.